Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Hi, this is Shamin Sanusi, and I am going to be on Project Loving Myself to talk about being a sensitive superwoman and also how to activate true abundance in your life. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal, and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Trauma is the biggest motivator, and many of us find our way out of it only to choose the path of helping others do the very same. Our own stories are powerful, and they become the seed that blooms and flowers, bearing fruits that are gifts to others. There is nothing more inspirational than coming out of the darkness to see the light, then sharing your light with others. It takes only one candle to light a thousand, and the life of that candle will not be shortened by doing so, said the Buddha. We can be the candle. We can impact thousands with our story, or perhaps even millions. Our guest today, Shimin, has her very own story to share. She healed from various forms of trauma and abuse that led her to feel overwhelmed, undervalued, and intensely dissatisfied in almost all aspects of her adult life. But her battle with herself, her journey of triumph, and her road to Santiago paved a way for her to use the growth and wisdom that she accumulated to inspire others along the way. Shamin Sanusi is an intuitive life coach an energy healer based in Malaysia. She believes she was put here on earth to help ambitious women overcome what's been holding them back and start living a life of their wildest dreams. Sounds like you? Let's find out more. She calls herself Sensitive Superwoman. Welcome to the show, Shemin Sanusi. Hello. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful introduction. I got emotional there. <laughs> Thank you, Sanaya. You're very welcome. And it is going to set the tone for, I think, quite the story that you and I are going to get into. Looks like it, but I'm ready. 
All right. So tell me the story behind this term or actually your Instagram handle at Sensitive Superwoman. Let's start with that. Okay, that's a brilliant way to start things off. What's most interesting about coming up with a brand name, Sensitive Superwoman, I've actually not had to explain the background because I think for a lot of women, when they see the term Sensitive Superwoman, it kind of gives off a visceral reaction. It's just something that I think is embedded within a lot of women. So they just react immediately as they hear the name Sensitive Superwoman, but it does have a background to it. So I kind of always known growing up that I had very deep emotional side to myself and I was a very sensitive person, but I grew up in a household that really didn't celebrate that. There was barely space for emoting (laughs) as I was growing up. So a lot of emotions actually had to be stuffed under the carpet and it was very important to appear really strong and not show your weakness. And I know I'm not the only person who grew up in this kind of environment. And that has come from me telling my story growing up that way. So I grew up in a household with parents that kids nowadays call the boomers, right? So it was always about just get good grades so that you can go to a good school, so that you can get a good job and then eventually retire, right? So I lived my life under that template. Even though I was very highly creative and yes, highly sensitive and I would like see things, right? Like spirits and all that. I will get into that the further we go along. But yeah, I was not a very pragmatic person, but I grew up feeling that that's what I needed to be. And that includes having to stuff down my emotions and then just ticking all the boxes. So I did. I got good grades. I got a good job. I got married. I had a child. But eventually, I think due to all the stuffing, it just eventually had to come out. And it didn't come out in a pretty way. It was pretty ugly. So I started realizing that I was not myself, that I had been living a life that was kind of set out for me as opposed to who I truly was. And that became more and more frustrating because I didn't know how to get out of that. So not having the tools to go through that period of awakening at that time, I started becoming really unwell. So I started becoming really anxious and I start getting panic attacks. And then eventually I had to go get help. And then I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And that was really when my healing journey started. And I found out that actually I had so much trauma embedded in my subconscious and in my body. So, but I'm actually really thankful for all of that happening because I think trauma is a wonderful gateway to your spiritual ascension. And that's also something that we can talk about as we go on. So, so yeah. I, I'm going to interrupt, Shamin. So the first thing I wanted to share with you is I totally relate. Right. I had the kind of childhood where, you know, even as a woman, I was taught that, you know, emotions are not something that's out for display. And the only kind of emotions I actually saw was a lot of anger. But the other ones, like affection and, you know, the good emotions mm-hmm. were not quite, you know, something that maybe culturally, like, you know, in my culture, it's the idea is you don't want to be too happy because if you're too happy, something bad will happen or you're tempting fate, you know? So we kept our happiness a little bit subdued. And then the other way, you know, the pendulum swings the other way. And then the anger would sometimes dominate. So that is something that I saw even culturally. Um, And I also grew up feeling like 
I need to be strong. And so I get the superwoman part. Like I relate to that because I do think of myself as a superwoman. I think most women are superwomen. I mean, the fact that they do all the things that they do, totally agree with that. But when you said sensitive superwoman, you know, that sensitive kind of touched a chord because I don't want to be seen as too sensitive. It's something a little bit more private to me, right? There's something like I cry at every sad movie. You know, I feel things for people. And growing up, the sensitivity showed up as feeling sensitive to what someone said to me or feeling sensitive to how my friends would treat me or, you know, what was being said underneath the the actual words, you know? So it was that kind of sensitivity. And my own healing journey kind of took away the negative connotations to sensitivity and left me with the ability to have compassion and empathize with people. And so that's how I express my sensitivity to other people. I just sense what people are going through. I kind of, you know, I can step into their shoes. But I think many people think of sensitive as a weakness and not necessarily a strength. So I do want to visit that point. But before we go there, I also want to talk a little to the point you made, which I think is so important. You said that you started having panic attacks, anxiety, you were diagnosed with clinical depression, but there was kind of several mental health related challenges you pointed out. A hundred percent. And I just want to, yeah, I just want to take this moment to highlight that because a lot of people, and I'm saying a lot of people because they are my clients. They come to me with this problem, which is I'm anxious. I'm having panic attacks. I am feeling nervous or uncomfortable. And of course, it leads to some different diseases in their life, right? And they attribute it to the pandemic, right? That the pandemic, you know, everyone's stressed. So I'm also feeling this. And now I have these panic attacks and I have this anxiety. And I was just working with someone the other day and I said, you know, It's not the pandemic that has created the anxiety and the panic attacks and the stress. The pandemic has brought it to the forefront because all our energy is now has been wrapped up the past couple of years dealing with this threat, which is COVID. And there's fear about, you know, what could it do? Is it going to take my loved one? Is it going to make me sick? So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of stress with the news, with the travel regulations, right? There's all this stuff going on. And so our mental energy and our immune function, okay, is really wrapped up trying to fight this other monster that we don't have time or energy or space to hide all these other emotions and things that have plagued us our entire life. But like you, we brushed it under the carpet, right? We hid from it. We pretended it wasn't there. And we happily went through our lives until our body was like, I can't take it anymore. I am otherwise occupied fighting two wars on two different fronts. I can't do it anymore. And then we get, as you said, panic attack, depression, anxiety, stress. So I love that you called that out because I think a lot of women in particular, okay, because men kind of have it come out in a different way. But women, it happens in this way, that stress, that, you know, kind of emotional stuff that has been collecting all these years starts to rear its, you know, I think that's like my favorite term, rear its ugly head because it's all the emotions that we don't address. Yes. So tell me about your thoughts on that. And also kind of 
this idea of sensitivity being something we all see or a lot of people see as a weakness. Yeah. And I think back to me saying why it causes such a visceral reaction within women, because the term sensitive superwoman is kind of a paradox. Like those two things can't exist in the same frame. How? Right. But it is possible. And there is power in being sensitive. But we're not going to be able to see that when we have all this stuff and all these programmings and all these emotions piled up years over years, right? And that's what happened to me. I couldn't see the power in my sensitivity, in my sidekick gifts that comes with being highly sensitive because of all these traumas. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. And there's also a lot of shame that comes with admitting that we need help. So I'm not too sure about what it's like. And I think even men have a hard time asking for help. But just collectively, there's just this so much pride in being hyper independent, right? But we actually need support. We need to express ourselves. And somehow, I don't know what happened in the timeline that kind of stopped. We suddenly stopped having that option, right? But it's time that we come back to it. And I think that's why the pandemic itself as you said, is not the problem. In fact, it is the catalyst of a lot of people's transformation. It came as this big mirror for all of us to finally look at ourselves and the stuff that we have brought with us all these years. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people do not like what they see in that mirror. And they finally had the time to take a look and say, wait a minute, is is that me? Like, is, is that who I am or who I've become? Um, And that has been sort of the beginning of a lot of people's journey, like I think was yours, is recognizing that this is not really who I am. Yes, it was insanely painful. But I think once you can lean into the truth, I love this quote that I read somewhere that your transformation happens when you can sit with your truth without running away. Yeah, so that's what happened to me. (laughs) I love that. Your transformation happens. When you can sit with your truth without running away. Mm -hmm. Any other interesting thing is, most of us know that deep inside, we feel our truth is so ugly or unlovable or only worthy of rejection or it's unwanted. That we not only shy away from it, but we think because we have that hiding inside us, we are also unworthy and undeserving of other people's love. So even when we hide from our truth, it's still there in the background. It is still playing that familiar tune and it is pushing away or sabotaging every relationship in our life. Okay, And we don't even know that that's what's happening because we refuse to look in the mirror and to see all that we are carrying. But you did the opposite of that, right? You looked in the mirror, you sat with it. What did you discover? A lot of things that I have brought onto myself, that's one that was really painful, is to take accountability for what has happened in my life. And that, I think, came from understanding spirituality and looking at things from a bigger lens and not just from a human perspective. There's a bigger reason why things happened. I chose this journey as a soul. So that's one. And it was difficult to accept, but it was healing. And it actually gave me liberation. Like, wow, I chose this path. That means I have the power to change my path. So that's one. But I also discovered 
that I was, and this is from a human perspective, that I wasn't at fault with how I was acting as an adult because there was a reason why I was acting out that way. There was a reason why I was anxious. There was a reason why I was panicking all the time and, and feeling like I wasn't enough. There's a root cause to everything and it goes way back, right? So the mistake that we tend to make is we think it's just about what happened yesterday or because my husband said this, that's why I'm angry. But no, it's there's always a deeper root to your emotions. So I realized that I had a lot of trauma that came from my childhood because I was physically abused and there was an incidence of sexual abuse that had no space for healing and for me to process that as I was growing up. It was just the formula was get back up, toughen up. I heard the term toughen up so many times that sometimes it still rings in my head and I know it's from my past programming. So I have to catch myself. Nope, that's not who I am, right? That's just how I was raised. There's no such thing as you have to be tough. In fact, true strength comes from when you can actually hold space for the entire spectrum of your human emotions. But that's what I realized that I actually had a lot of trauma that was embedded in me. Okay, so Shamin, this this phrase, toughen up. Yeah. Okay. Probably something I've said to myself as well. You know, like sit up straight, you know, kind of deal with it, move on. You know what I mean? We've said it to ourselves in so many different ways, right? What would be the antithesis? Like what would be the replacement program or phrase to tell yourself instead of toughen up, right? Yeah. Or buckle up. Yeah. What would you say to yourself if you could replace it with a better message to yourself? The immediate phrase that came to me is it's safe. It's safe to feel this emotion. The reason why I feel we are so quick to jump to telling ourselves to just toughen up is because we don't feel safe in that space of feeling sadness, of feeling disappointment, right? When our partners are not saying the things that we want to hear. We don't feel safe sitting in it, but it's actually safe. It's safe to feel. So I think that has been the remedy, giving myself full permission to cry when I'm sad, to express myself when I'm angry in a healthy way. And this was something that I didn't know. I thought when you're angry, you just lash out at everybody. But that's not the way. There's a healthy way to express your anger. And that all came from the healing journey. But that's what I would say. It's safe to feel your emotions. Yeah. I asked myself the same question as I was asking you. And you actually said it. But the thing that came to mind for me was I give myself the permission to feel these emotions. And I allow myself the space and the time to process it, to feel it. And when I'm done, then I'll be ready to move on, you know? And so it's very similar to what you're saying as well is, is that sense of safety. And I think that's very important is to give ourselves that sense of freedom to experience, right? Everything that we need to. Right Now, you mentioned there's a healthy way of expressing anger, that it wasn't just lash out and dump it on everybody else as much as that's the easier way for many people to do it, right? What would be your suggestion or how would you tell somebody how to express their anger in a healthy way? Yeah, so basically anger is an energy. Right. It came from an amalgamation of maybe your frustration or your sadness and it has compounded and then it becomes anger. So in this case, and this is something I practice with myself and also it's something that I tell my clients, when you're angry, your pillow is your best friend. 
let it out on the pillow, scream into it. And sometimes in a session with my clients, I ask them to pick up a pillow, let's scream. It's safe to do that. I tell my kids that, by the way, Shamin. I'm like, stop taking it out on your brother. Go, you know, grab the pillow and do whatever you want to the pillow. So yeah, I do the same thing with the kids. Yeah, I, I say the same to my daughter. She's still learning how to do that. <laughs> She's still very young. But yeah, it, it's just energy that wants to come out. And I think even that in itself can be jarring for somebody. Oh, wow, I can punch a pillow. I thought that's wrong, but it's not. Just don't punch a person, but just punch something, punch an inanimate object. And then the energy leaves you. And as you said, once it leaves you, you're okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's like anger just needs to be expressed. Yeah. And I think a lot of men, you know, they express their anger or their aggression, right? Because men have testosterone. It's just, you know, it's a hormone that just generally naturally makes you more aggressive. Uh -huh. And often with aggression comes these reactions or the anger, right? And I think with men, because a lot of men are raised to be sporty, right? They're doing some sport or the other, or they just have this ability, I feel like, in their play to be rough and to be a bit more physical. And that in itself, I think, helps them release. Because I see my husband, you know, he works out three times a week and his workouts are like hardcore. You know, I'm just like, okay, let me do some squats. We'll do three rounds. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit more like, well, a lot more calmer than what his works, workouts look like. And I'm like, I get it. You know, I get that as a man, he needs to kind of release all that energy through that very physical experience. But I think women don't necessarily have that outlet. And it's interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who was a daughter. And I generally have two boys who are at that age where they're in school and making friends. And she has a daughter at the same age, also at school. And she's like, you know, Sanaya, girls are mean. They're just really mean. They're, like there's already bullying happening. There's like these clicks, like I don't want to play with you, someone being left out. And I don't really hear about that from my boys, right? And, you know, when she was telling me about this, I was like, you know, I kind of see why girls can be, you know, holding on to some of these emotions more than guys, because guys play. They really play it out. And a lot of girls haven't been raised to kind of express and release and like, you know, so it kind of festers and it, it comes out as these maybe not so nice behaviors. You know, I was kind of a little bit like, wow, it's really different for girls at that age as it is for boys, you know, and it's probably that. Like, wh what do you think? You think I'm on the right track with that? I think so. And the moment you said that I was brought straight back to high school and all the challenges that came with it. And yeah, and seeing how the boys were very vocal with each other when they joke around, they say really mean things sometimes, but they laugh it off. Right. And because I think they have that capacity to handle it because they have that option to banter and vocalize whatever they're feeling. And I think with women and girls, we were never taught that it's, again, safe to do that, that it's safe to tell our best friend that they said something that hurt us. Instead, we still want to express it, but we find a different outlet. That we gossip yeah, and tell all these girls and then we gang up on that girl who hurt our feelings. And really, it all started because we felt hurt. Exactly. And that's really sad, too, because then it compounds into the sisterhood wounds. But then again, 
it's a calling for healing. So I'm glad that now we're talking about this and it's come up to the surface. It means that it's probably ready to be released from the collective. We're done with this gossiping thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I hear you. You know, word to you on that. So going back now, Shamin, you mentioned trauma. You mentioned abuse. Talk to me a little bit about that, because I do feel, you know, everyone's got some. I don't know anyone who'd say that they have never had any trauma or abuse in their life. I think that a lot of people forget about it or they bury it, as we said. But I think that everybody's got something, some of that in there. Right. So talk to me about your experience with that and how it shaped you and maybe drove you to what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. So. I love that you brought that up because after it, it was only after going through my healing journey that I realized what I went through was trauma. So I didn't even have an understanding of what trauma was. And the word itself had such a connotation to it that I guess I was feeling like if I'm just living and I'm okay and I'm surviving, I can't be a trauma victim because that word sounds really intense, right? <laughs> but as you mentioned, everybody's gone through it. It's a spectrum. So there's like the little trauma and there's the big trauma, but everybody's gone through it. So as for me, I was physically abused. And also the thing about trauma that makes it a challenge to heal for some people for them to even acknowledge because it's all you know, especially if it happened in your childhood, it was normal. So for me, getting beaten up every day, that was what happened to me. I was beaten by my caretaker on the head repeatedly every day. And that was my normal because I didn't know any other way that people lived. So I just assumed this was the way to live. I just assumed that the status quo is me waking up fearing for my life. So the healthier way of living my childhood wasn't modeled for me. And at that time, there was no social media and all of these things. We didn't know, right? So my life was just TV and what I saw there and everything else was just, okay, I guess this is my reality. So I accepted it as normal. And I think a lot of people do that. They normalize the trauma. And that is why it keeps happening in a loop. And it happens over and over again until you realize that there's something else. And that's why it's so beautiful. And that's why I come out and tell my story so that people get to catch themselves. Oh, her story sounds really familiar. I think I yeah. might have come through something familiar. It's right? my story. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. wait a minute. That's my story too. You know, everyone's thinking that. So yeah. Yeah. So I think being validated just from connecting the dots of oh, your stories, my story, that in itself is extremely healing. And that is why I do the work that I do. And there's deeper layers to that. Even just validation is healing, but doing the real work is liberating. So, and that's why I do what I do. And what is it that you do? Talk to me a little bit about what you do today, because you used to be a bridal makeup artist. I mean, you've been a, a student in my class, and I never knew that you were a makeup artist. You always look so beautiful on screen, Aww. you know, and I remember thinking, you know, it's like she's definitely modeled or something or the other because you have that look or way. And when I read that you were a bridal makeup artist, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that totally flies. It totally makes sense with the aura and that energy you give out. So tell me about that to where you are now. I mean, 
How did that happen? That's a pretty big story, but thank you for that. Oh, what a compliment. So I <laughs> built up that makeup skill over 10 years because I worked as a makeup artist for close to a decade. So as I mentioned earlier, I was always very highly creative. And There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I started as a makeup artist really to just have some money on the side because my parents were going through separation at that point. And therefore, I lost a chunk of my allowance as a teenager. <laughs> and I wasn't okay with that. So I was trying to find a way to make some side money. So my mom was actually the person who suggested that I start doing makeup on the side as I was studying. And that snowballed into a proper entrepreneurial career for me. So I've had other jobs on the side, but I've always kept my makeup artist work and I loved it. And I think that was also the training ground for me to become a coach, ironically, because when you're a bridal makeup artist, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so people are going through a whole range of emotions on their big day. I have a bunch of stories on that. I, that would probably take me a while to tell, but there are some interesting stories. Some stuff comes up to the surface. Some of them are not ready and they're going through the jitters. So me being there and out. Yes. So now there, I was also kind of like a free therapist for them as I was doing their makeup. And I really love that. And I, you know what they say, Jameen, they always say like hairstylists. And I guess in the context of what we're talking about, makeup artists, I mean, they've got to be some of the best therapists. Yeah. Because that's what they do, right? Like they listen to what's going on in your life. And I've had some of the most intriguing conversations, by the way. With mm -hmm. my hairstylist, I remember talking about passive aggression with my hairstylist mm -hmm. and like she was pouring out her love life and actually she was pouring her story out to me. But normally it's the other way around. Yeah. You know, as a client, you're telling your stylist or your makeup artist kind of they're privy to what's going on in your emotional and mental space. Right. Exactly. We go deep. And I think yeah. when I was doing makeup was when I realized it doesn't take much to connect with somebody. I was literally only there for a couple of hours. And then suddenly it's like we've been friends forever. And I really enjoyed that. But I didn't realize it at that time that that was the portion of my work that I truly enjoyed. Meeting somebody and understanding their story and holding them through a really difficult time of dealing with their jitters and doubts or whatever it is that was creeping up for them. And so I went through that. 
And then there was a time when I, after going through my healing process, I pretty much had to start from scratch. I stopped doing makeup and then I was supporting my husband in his business and was doing extremely well. I was flying high, winning awards and stuff like that. But, you know, when the soul calls, then you got to answer it. And when the pandemic happened, so I was not spared from it. I also had to be given that mirror and ask myself, is this what you want to do? And that is after going through a healing journey. So it really never ends. <laughs> this is quite an adventure. But I felt this big calling of you're going to have to do something bigger than this. You're not just here to support your husband. You've got your own soul mission to do. A lot of women are waiting for you to help them. And at that time, I remember I had an NLP certification, which is a coaching certification. That I took kind of on a whim. I did not know what I was going to do with it. And then the pandemic happened and I suddenly had like this message that came through me that it's time to utilize that certification. So it was during the pandemic that I told my husband, I'm sorry, but I got to go do my own thing. And that was difficult. But I went through with it and eventually started this coaching business, named it Sensitive Superwoman. And here we are today. <laughs> wow. What a transformation. Yes. Okay. It's been a journey. <laughs> so tell me where you are now. Okay. You are working with people as a coach. Is there a specific topic, theme, area you tend to focus on or certain kinds of clients that you attract? And a little bit about, you know, what is the, is there like a blend of techniques? Like tell me a little bit about the practice and the clients that you seem to work with. Yeah, sure. So my business, my coaching business in particular has evolved from the point when I first launched it. So it started off with me utilizing techniques to clear out subconscious blocks. And also I was already really deeply diving into spirituality and learning about law of attraction and all these other universal laws. And I was actually applying that in my previous business where I was working with my husband with great results. So I wanted to pass it forward to my clients. So when I first started out, I started actually attracting other people from the same niche. I came from the insurance industry and I started attracting people from the insurance industry who wanted to manifest their goals in their careers. So, so that's really where it started out. And that was okay for a while. But again, it has been like layers of uncovering for me. So the next message that I got was, this is not enough, right? There's a deeper layer to this. And I did notice that it hit a ceiling with just coaching through just talking and doing really simple techniques to rewire the subconscious mind. But something was telling me that there's a deeper layer. And I actually got this message over a period of an entire month where I just heard this whispering in my ear that you're meant to be an energy healer. Go look up energy healing. You are a healer. You're not just a coach. You're meant to help people heal on a DNA cellular level, not just on the mental level. So that was really scary for me to hear. But it did feel like a soul calling. I remember I had my own coach and I was telling her, this is really scary, but I think I have to do it. And she's like, go for it. So that's when I picked up theta healing and then I started learning about energy healing. And my goodness, the changes within myself and in my business, you know, the saying, it's 90% energy, 10% strategy for everything that you do. I fully got to experience that when I picked up energy healing and really understanding things from an energetic perspective. So that's what I started incorporating into my business. 
So I started doing energy healing. So the kind of blocks that my clients came to me with are usually money blocks. Money blocks are very, very common with women that I noticed. And again, the issue is never the issue. It's actually not about money. It's a lot deeper than that. So we heal when that. is it ever? Right? <laughs> yeah, when is it ever. ever. <laughs> and then it evolved into business coaching because I started attracting other healers who were seeing what I was doing and they were telling me, I want to do what you do. Can you help me set up a healing business? So that's kind of what it has evolved into now, which is business coaching and helping other spiritual healers and coaches start their online businesses. But still, I would say the bulk of the work that I do is the energy work, is the recoding, it's the diving deep into where are these blocks coming from? And the business, yeah. Energy healing. Yeah. Explain that. Because I'm sure there are people who are listening in and they have no idea, Shamin, what are we talking about? What is this energy healing? So can you break that down a little bit? Either, you know, what is the technique or the modality or what do you mean by this? Yeah, so that comes from the understanding that we are all made up of energies. We're basically just atoms vibrating at a certain frequency and everything. When I say everything, I mean everything, including your thoughts. So your thought itself has a frequency and then it is mirrored in your 3D reality based on what you're thinking of. And because thoughts are energy, they're not tangible. There are different levels of thoughts. There are conscious thoughts. There are also subconscious thoughts. And a lot of our thoughts lie on the subconscious level. That means we're not aware of it. That means we're not aware that we're thinking thoughts that are blocking money and abundance from coming in. And it's all in the energy. So being an energy healer just basically means that we can decode that frequency. We can tap into it. We can connect with our clients and read the energy. I'm like a computer that can decode your unconscious thoughts. And that is a skill that we build as energy healers. So it's not something that you can logically explain, but it has been proven recently, I think, through science and epigenetics and all of that, that we carry programmings from 14 generations back. And yeah. yeah. Genetically, in the history level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in epigenetics, it is said that our DNA can shift and it can shift through thought. So absolutely. Yeah. We turn on off certain genes for the different beliefs and emotions. So that is scientifically, you guys, that is scientifically validated that, you know, what Shamin is talking about is not, you know, one of those like mumbo jumbo, you like, you know, it's like scientifically there is the research to support it. And if you are interested, you know, you guys can send me a DM and I'm happy to point you. And I'm sure Shamin will too. Some, some really great literature on, on some of this evidence for a lot of the things that many people energetically are able to kind of do for an individual, whether it's to decode or reprogram beliefs and so on. Okay, so you're working with people on that level, uh-huh. which is to identify what are the beliefs or what are the thoughts holding them back and then kind of shifting it uh-huh. to something that's going to work for them. Yes. So it's basically us teaching others how to think so that you shift on a cellular level. Because what you manifest is a reflection of your frequency. So it's also, it's beyond that. It's changing your beliefs. And when you do that, you raise your vibration. And then the world is a mirror. We're living in a matrix and the matrix will reflect our frequency. So that's what we do. 
And it's amazing. It's fun. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm sure it's like the best job ever yeah. to work with people. Because every day it's a different person or it's different set of people with completely different mindsets. And so it's like every day you're working with something new. You know, yeah. no day is the same when you do what we do because we are working with people. And every individual is so unique. You know, they have their own blueprint, thumbprint. I mean, it's like a thumbprint. Nobody has the same thumbprint, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. Now, you mentioned, I think it was on your website or somewhere I was kind of looking at what you were doing and you said something about being a wealth activator, Oh, which I was like, wow, that is a cool word. Talk to me about wealth activation or helping your clients become wealth activators. Maybe I'm not putting it in the right way, but can you give me a little bit more information on how to explain that? Absolutely. So that is something that I discovered as I went on my entrepreneurial journey as a healer, as a coach, and then through coaching the women that come into my world is there's this huge problem when it comes to holding wealth or even believing that we are deserving of wealth, right? So that's actually another layer. It's beyond money, right? So I was manifesting clients who, they had money, right? So it wasn't really about the money. It's either they made the money or they live with someone who has the money, but they're not wealthy, right? So that's something that I discovered within my work. Like wealth and money are two separate things. Ideally, they should coincide, but most of the time they don't. So it's still, so yeah. Define that. Define that for me, Shameen. So you could be wealthy or you could have money, mm -hmm. but not necessarily the wealthy person has money or the person with money is wealthy, right? But, so I think you, we're talking about mindset versus physical, tangible. So let's define that so that when we talk further from it, people will understand what we're saying. So how or what you're saying? Sure. Yeah. So how I would define wealth is really having both. So wealth is money and health. So it's not money as an energy exchange for something that has to be sacrificed, which a lot of people live under this paradigm, I, in order to make money, I have to sacrifice my time, right? In order to make money, I have to sacrifice my health, my marriage, my happiness, right? I got to hustle in order to make money, but it's not true. So I feel like what it means to have wealth is when you have money and everything else. And that's not okay. easy to hold. So wealth is the money, the tangible aspect of it, and also the non-tangible aspect, which is a state that you're in. I'm rich and I'm also happy, which is not common. <laughs> so essentially what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. that if I have money, I constantly physically, like I have money in my bank account mm -hmm. and there's plenty of it there for me to live a life that I feel I can generally pretty much get what I want. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have that physical money, but I don't feel that I need to give up my time, my energy, my health, my quality time with my family. Like, I don't feel I need to trade any of those things for myself to maintain that money that's in my account. Yes. Is that what we're saying? Absolutely. And it's very close. So it's a shift from that separation consciousness of in order to have money, something's got to give. Right. And Something's got to give. Yeah. But then how does one make money? I mean, 
a person who makes money will, for example, have to work. Okay. And I think what you're getting at, but I'm not sure is like, okay, I can work eight hours a day. And then when I leave my work, it's like I'm done. And now I'm going to spend quality time with my family. So I don't feel I'm working more than the money that's coming to me. It's like an even exchange. Uh I'm happy to do it. Is that right? And then when I switch off and I want to do something else, I have the liberty or the freedom to do so. I don't feel like a prisoner of this process of making money. Is that kind of what? Yeah. So so what I'm saying is everything is a choice. When you work, if you're in the state of this is a choice and I'm doing this out of service, then it's not going to feel like you're sacrificing anything. But most people think, and most people, what they do is they work in a job that they don't like, for example, and they believe that that's what is needed in order to make money. But I'm here to really get them out of that paradigm of, no, you get to do what you want and make money. What if you could do that? And that in itself is a big shift. And that is what true wealth is. Wow, I get to do what I want. I love what I do. And I make money. And I'm happy. To me, that is true wealth. I got a story for you, Shamin. Hear it. I had a, an example story for you. So way back when, okay, when I started my business here in the Philippines, we're talking 11, 12 years ago, right? And so I was bringing in the programming that was already running my life, the way I was doing things in Dubai, okay? Because I had a center there and then I opened a center here. And so I noticed in the beginning, especially my beginning years, what would happen is I noticed that the harder I work, the more money I would make, right? And so when I was single, that was well and good because I had actually moved out of the whole corporate life. I was making different friends. I was reprioritizing my life. I was, you know, finding myself drawn to a very different set of activities and entertainment. So I didn't mind giving up my life and dedicating all my time and energy into healing and spirituality and my own personal growth journey, right? And so I was working all the time. But work was fun because I loved it. I was also, I was healing myself. I was learning. I was growing. But I was also doing this big thing, which was my healing center in Dubai. And it continued into Manila this way, right? Except I got married when I moved to Manila. That's the reason I moved here. And so all of a sudden, I had this very important person in my life. And I didn't know how to stop working because it was my own business. So I'm working all the time. And I remember on my honeymoon, it's a true story. We had just gotten married. We get to Singapore. We're checking into the Marina Bay Sands as part of our mini honeymoon, our real one. And in the lobby, I'm doing work on my laptop and my husband's checking us in. And I'm still working. And it's our honeymoon. So that was like the extent of not having those boundaries, right? And then I continued, you know, I got better and better. Like he would say, like, let's have the laptop down, like shut on the weekends. And I was like, but why? Why would we do that? And he's like, because your weekends are supposed to be for fun. Like it was literally like for me, like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that, you know? And so I slowly kind of became a normal human being again, where I wasn't just always, you know, had my head in the clouds because that was like my space of my spirituality and healing and so on. Anyways, as we grew over the years, we had one child, second child, and now the third. And I had less and less time or it was more and more important to draw those boundaries over time. It started with my first child and I actually sold my first center in Dubai just to make room for a child in my life. My point is, 
I had this thing in my head, which is time equals money. And when I went on maternity leave with my first son, my business tanked. We could barely pay our bills. And we had this beautiful space. You know, we're paying like incredibly high rent because of the space we're in. But it was just such a beautiful sanctuary. But we couldn't make ends meet because I was on maternity leave. Okay. And it was hard. It was really hard to come back to that. And I was a first time mom and the pressure and all of this. And I had someone at the front desk embezzle money. So there was a lot of stuff that came with it. Okay. And it was basically proving to me that I can't take time off. So what am I? I'm a prisoner of my own business if I can't take six months off to go be a mom. And that's when I said, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this programming. And so I started working on myself and I did a lot of reprogramming, decoding, belief work, theta healing on myself to kind of shift from this identity of I got to put time, effort and energy in for the outcome of sales or to pay my bills or to, you know, make sure everyone is secure in the business, in the company. And, you know, I really grew from that point. I mean, now I still work quite a bit, but I love it. Like I work because I love it and not because I need to pay my bills because that part I realize is taken care of, right? I work now because it's something that brings me a lot of joy. It's the way I express myself creatively. It is something very close to my heart. Like one of my core values is to make an impact and to create meaning. And so work has become really about honoring my personal values and not about creating the income that is needed to pay all my bills and all my staff and make sure that we can run a business. So that was the shift, you know, going from I got to do this to keep my business running versus I'm doing this because I totally enjoy what I do on a daily basis. And I've always enjoyed working with clients and teaching classes, as you know. But now I don't have that stress that I'm working to make money. I'm working because I love what I do. And I'm working because it makes me feel alive. It's like what I'm meant to do. And I think that's what you mean about not thinking of like money has to come, but I have to trade something or I have to give up something or I'm a prisoner of something. Yeah. That's keeping me stuck in an undesirable situation. Exactly. A lot of people live under that paradigm of in order to make money, I have to blank. Right. And I can imagine that so many people even listening to your story probably feel a little anxious about whether that can be possible for them. Wow. Can I really take time off and still make money, even more money? Right. But it's actually possible. And that's actually how it works when we lean back and remove the attachment of working and being of service to making money. Because the truth is that we don't need to work to make money. Money can come from literally anywhere. If you understand energy and money is just an energy. So some people don't work and they have money. Right. But what's important is you are living in alignment. Like you said, Snaya, you're doing it because it nourishes you. When you give, you get back and your work nourishes you. And I really wish that for so many women. And I want to tell them that it's possible. Yeah. Which is a perfect, actually, note to end our episode today. If you could tell all those women out there, okay, who might feel a twinge of, wait a minute, I think I'm working for 
something. I'm working for money. I'm sacrificing my me time. I'm sacrificing my family. I have to, you know, give all these hours, whatever is going on in their space. There are probably, you know, a line of women who totally feel, oh, I'm stuck in that paradigm. It's actually a poverty mindset, Mm -hmm. right? What would you say to them? Because I do end my episodes with the Project Loving Yourself mantra. Yeah. So this is kind of like I'm putting your advice or your message to these women. Okay. Or men, because I think a lot of people, a lot of men will relate to that. Yeah. And, you know, give that to me as your Project Loving Myself mantra for today's episode. So my mantra is pretty out there, but I live by this, especially after learning how energy works, how manifestation works. And how our soul has its own blueprint. So really, there's no need to stress the ultimate truth, right? But then our human will always try to make sense of it. And that's the nature of us being human. But once you can transcend that using the power of your consciousness, then everything can shift. So my mantra that I now live by, and I share this with my clients as well, is screw logic. Believe in miracles. Because... Once you can get there, magic is going to happen. When you believe in magic, then you become walking magic on legs. And miracles should be the normal. So that's my mantra. Wow. I mean, that is the high note. So screw logic. Believe in miracles. Yes. Simple as that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as true as it can be. Thank you, Shameen, for a truly enjoyable conversation. I'm sure our listeners would love to know a little bit more about what you do. So if you can share details, how can they follow you or get in touch? Absolutely. So I'm mostly on Instagram. So you can follow me at Sensitive Superwoman. So what I do is I support um, spiritual healers and coaches build a profitable online business. So if that's something that you desire to do, absolutely, you can contact me and we can talk more about it. Wonderful. Thank you again, Shamin, for your beautiful energy and for all that you have contributed to today's episode. Oh, likewise, Ikenaya. Thank you. I had a blast. <laughs> In dedication to all the super women out there, you know who you are. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. If you feel inspired by today's conversation, Drop me a rating and write me a review. I know you have that very special friend or family member that needs to hear today's conversation. So share and subscribe to your weekly one-hour check-in with yourself. Episodes drop weekly on Mondays. And as always, do ask me any questions or share your comments on at Project Loving Myself podcast and at Sanaya Gurnamal. For health and well-being, visit www.thirdeyeonline.com. If you are new to the Third Eye Wellness, our 15% discount on healing sessions starts with code I love myself. All caps, no spaces. Book your free one-on-one at Theta Healing 20-minute discovery session on the website as well. So I picked a Coco Chanel quote for today. A girl should be two things, who and what she wants. I love this quote because it's like I'm giving myself the permission to be myself, as you should. 
You are so loved. Thank you for listening in on Project Loving Myself, a podcast which focuses on your relationship with yourself. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Pod Machine. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.